You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson, For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like any sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm going to get a the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 92 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice. Um, Bridget Peru is down in Nashville at a wedding, so I'm joined by the one, the only, Scott McLaughlin. Scott, how, how are you? I'm good, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So it's been five games. We were just talking. It's been five games since our last episode, so I'm just going to quickly gloss over um the results, and then we'll we'll dive into everything uh, Bruins related. So, um, they they defeated the Blues three uh, two on the road in overtime. Charlie McAvoy, beautiful beautiful uh, top shelf shot set up by DeBrusque and Coyle, which is pretty pretty solid um, three on three unit now for the Bruins that you go to in overtime, Scott. Yeah, that'll pay off in the playoffs for sure. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, just like yeah, exactly. Uh, but they found they found their overtime unit just in time for the postseason. Yep. Yep, perfect. Um, and then they, you know, a little bit of a of a dud um, in in Pittsburgh. They lost four nothing. Kind of a scheduled loss, not to give an excuse, but it kind of was. Solid win at home against the Rangers, three to one last weekend, last Saturday, which is a, a, an important one to note because it was the first time in about three weeks that they had their full roster. Um, that was pretty much their game one playoff lineup. If you were to draw it up with Lindholm and pa- Pashnak back, so they won that game three to one. Uh, Pasta scored in his first period back. Then they went uh, up to Montreal, north of the border, um, paid tribute to uh, the late Guy Lafleur, um, came out with a 5-3 win, and then obviously they defeated the uh, the Panthers yesterday 4-2 at home. So I'm going to throw it back to you, Scott. Uh, we'll get we'll get going on these. Yeah, I mean, looking at this stretch to me, like the biggest thing that stands out is how many times now they've been able to basically shut down really good teams. And it starts with that, 3-2 win over the Blues where, you know, it's not just the two goals against, but they hold them to 22 shots. And the Blues had been the number one offense in the NHL since the trade deadline and just got nothing against the Bruins. Then you mentioned that loss to Pittsburgh. You know, that stands out as the the weak game of this recent stretch. And, you know, I didn't – I mean, they made some mistakes. Swayman wasn't really on his game. 
they put 52 shots on goal and get shut out. You know, yes, definitely could have been more high danger chances, but that was just such an odd game. And, you know, and you come out of it and then you get an idea that Pasternak and Lindholm might be back and Allmark's playing one of the games that weekend. And now you're excited to see the full lineup and they get in there against the Rangers and again, shut them down. Three to one win. Allmark's great in his first game back in over a week. Um, Pasternak scores. Lindholm looks like he picks up right where he left off. Now, those two guys, Pasternak and Lindholm, sit for the Montreal game. Um, you know, thought, thought the Bruins played well coming with a 5-3 win. Like, still thought Swayman could have been a little bit better. I, I do feel like Swayman's taken these last two games a little bit of a step back after seemingly turning a corner when he has a step in for Elmark. Um, you know, we can get into goaltending a little more later. And then the, the you know, maybe the biggest test of all, Tuesday against Florida, who, you know, I said mentioned that the Blues were the number one offense post-trade deadline. Florida's number one on the season and number two since the trade deadline. They're right there. They've been on fire. They had gone, uh, you know, recently had a 13-game winning streak. It got snapped just before the Bruins game by the Lightning. Um, But the Panthers had gone a month without being held under three goals, which is insane. And the Bruins hold them to two, beat them four to two. Hold, limit them to 21 shots on goal, only three in the third period. I mean, Bruins are protecting a one-goal lead. Panthers are the best, number one in the NHL in third-period comebacks this season, and the Bruins hold them to three shots on goal. Um, Panthers for the whole game had five high-danger chances at five and five, like just an absolute clinic in team defense, and it's not it's not just packing it in in the D zone and blocking shots. Like, that's not what they're doing. They're just possessing the puck. They're just controlling play and not they weren't giving the Panthers much in transition. They weren't giving them much in the zone. Like it was, you know, that's how the Bruins are going to have to play if they're going to go on a deep playoff run. Cause they're not, they can't keep up in a shootout with a team like Florida and they don't want to play that way anyways. So it's going to be with defense. And I think they've shown now a few times recently that they can do this. Now, you know, obviously players are a different test. Can you do it? four or five, six times in a row against one team. Um, Or even if you have an off game, do you bounce back the next game? But they have the capability and that kind of defensive structure should give them a shot against, against anyone. Exactly. That's like, that's the blueprint. That's, that's what us Bruins, Bruins uh, fans and viewers have been kind of hanging our hat on is like, yeah, okay. They might not be the sexiest regular season team, but the sexiest regular season team seldom ends up winning a Stanley Cup or even going three rounds for that matter. So it's it's all about you know what teams can 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 tailor their game to playoff hockey and and and, and matching up and playing playing chess against another team for seven games. And when you look at the St. Louis game and the Florida game combined, you know Florida has averaged over four goals this entire season. Just, just think about that. When I heard that, I was I couldn't believe it. Like I, you see high high powered offenses all the time. To average over four goals a game in an eighty two game sample, that is insane. And then with St. Louis, the Bruins caught St. Louis at a time where they were averaging four or five goals a game over a you know 
15 game span as well. So to hold those two teams combined um, at a time in the season where both those teams are going, to hold both those teams combined to 43 shots on net and what, uh, four goals against? I mean, that's a true testament to the Bruins and what they can do to teams. And so it's encouraging if you're a Bruins fan because what the Bruins do doesn't just work against, you know, Buffalo or Montreal or Ottawa. Um, or the uh, it works against everybody. The Bruins have played all the top teams in the league this year very well. They they played they have a winning record against Tampa and Florida combined. You know they've had their struggles with Toronto and and uh, Carolina, but those are two teams, ironically, that the Bruins have had the utmost success against in the postseason. So you know you kind of hold that one with a grain of salt. And they didn't really play. I don't think they they haven't played Carolina once yet with with Lindholm and with with Toronto. They played them with Lindholm, but it was just a really bad bad game. Um, so I guess the way I would say it is that there's two teams to be afraid of in the playoffs if you're the field. There's the best offensive team you should be afraid of, but then there's also the best defensive team you should be afraid of for the exact opposite reasons, and the Bruins are kind of that team. Like, you don't, to your point, they're not gonna, they're not gonna outrun and gun teams, but like, the, the, the style of play changes in the playoffs. It gets harder. It's, it's a tougher style of hockey. So I think in the Eastern Conference, the Panthers are the best offensive team. I think the Bruins, when they play the way that they can with their structure from everybody on the ice, they could be the best defensive team. Everybody else kind of falls in between in both those categories. So, I mean, you know, that's a good that's good news for the Bruins. It's not a sure-fired, you know, first-round victory for Boston, but it's definitely... Um, a trait that that you're happy to have um, going into the playoffs as the probably the stingiest team defensively. Yeah, I agree. And you know, I guess maybe the one thing that might worry me a little bit is that if you know, looking around the Eastern Conference, the one team that I think is maybe as stingy defensively and as committed to playing defense would be the Carolina Hurricanes, and that's who it looks like. The Bruins are going to be matched up against in round one. Um, Bruins can no longer finish as the second wild card, so they will not face Florida. They could still pass Tampa, but it would require Tampa to lose out, basically, and I think they play Columbus and... The Islanders. Yeah, and the Islanders. Um, You know, most likely Tampa's going to get a win against Columbus, and they'll clinch the third seed in, in the Atlantic, which... And Carolina clinched the Metro. They, you know, can't get caught by the Rangers at this point. So it looks like it's going to be Bruins Hurricanes. Um, And, you know, so the reason that worries me isn't that the 16 to one thing, people are going to bring that up plenty. I know if if it's Bruins Hurricanes, I will have to mention it in my preview and all that stuff. Um, You know, Bruins went 0-3 and got outscored 16 to one by the Hurricanes. This season that is really ugly, but to your point, it, those games were a while ago. The last one was two and a half months ago. You know, pre-trade deadline, pre-Hampus Lindholm, um, Bruins have had a better record than Carolina since then. Carolina has uh, one big injury concern with Freddie Anderson and goal, who sounds like m- might be back at some point down the first round, but maybe not to start the series. Um, so they're splitting. Antiran, Antiranta and the uh, the rookie 
Peter, uh, I forget his name, but um, Kachikov, yeah. So, you know, two, Ranta's been up and down. Kachikov is completely unproven. So, you know, if you have Linus Allmark playing the way you're playing, you like, you probably like that goaltending matchup. Um, but what worries me about Caroline, like being more defensively sound is the Bruins will have to work harder for their offense. Like, I think the Bruins defense can hold up against Carolina. Um, that doesn't worry me. I think they can do a much better job than they have in those regular season games earlier this year, but offensively, the Bruins will have to work to get chances and goals. And, you know, you look at something like Florida last night where, the Bruins got, you know, now credit to them. They made the plays. They put the pressure on. But Florida looked pretty soft on a couple of those goals. You know, the the um, Hall of one where it's, you know, Gudis tries to go for a big hit on Taylor Hall and just leaves a passing lane wide open, two-on-one goal. Sloppy right off the following faceoff, turnover, Hall right up the middle. Like, stuff like that. It's like... I don't think Carolina's going to do that. You know, I think they're they're better than that. They're more structured. So you won't get those, I'll use air quotes, you know, easy goals. But I just mean, like, easy to counter, easy to get space in the offensive zone. Bruins still make good plays on those, but I think you're going to have to work harder and probably get some some uglier goals in a series against Carolina. I, I couldn't agree more, and a big reason for that is is their bench boss, and, and Rod Brindamore just, he preaches, like, you know, you, you might not outscore somebody every single night, but you better not get outworked by them. And and that's that's um, a DNA that, that is now installed. Um, it is completely uploaded. It's not still uploading. The, the Hurricanes have that DNA now, and, and, and they, they work their ass off. And that's why some, you know, a Carolina matchup, a team like Carolina, in some ways, is scarier than, say, matching up against um, the Panthers because the Panthers have been so dominant this year and so good offensively, and they, and they possess the puck for so much of the game. When you're that good and you're spending so much time in the Ozone, that's why you see some holes in their game defensively beneath the goal line. That's why you can cycle down low on a Florida because they haven't had to do it that much, defend that much. Yeah. Um, Carolina does. They defend every single night because they don't have that superstar. They have some, you know, merging, you know, close to it. You know, like an Ajo, a, a Shvesnikov. You know, those kids um, really, really talented, but they're not at that superstar level like, uh, you know, a Barkov, say, um, or a Huberto. So... Yeah, I agree with everything you said. It's going to be a tough series. The one thing for me is that when you have two stingy teams, and I, I know we're kind of talking like like this is a set matchup. It it more or less is in my mind. The only I've actually kind of thought it was going to be. I've been mentally preparing for Carolina for a while now. The only time I doubted that was going to be the matchup was when um, the Bruins and and Toronto. When the Bruins caught Toronto and Tampa essentially in the standings for like a week, and it was like, okay, this could get interesting. But then the Bruins kind of slumped for a few games, and, and that went away. And then obviously when the Rangers made their push, it made some uncertainty. But other than those few moments, I've always kind of thought it was going to be Carolina. So when you have two stingy teams like this, both disciplined, both structured, both play hard, um, 
I really think that special teams can play a big factor in an otherwise even series. I know 16-1, to 1, I get it, believe me. But trust me when I tell you, those games were the anomaly. It's not going to happen in the playoffs. Um, so the Bruins' power play really needs to step up. And if I remember correctly, Carolina is one of those penalty-killing teams that really likes the pressure, which can be a good thing because it, it will force the Bruins to move um, and be active. But if they aren't and they're flat-footed and they're stationary, Carolina can make them pay. So, um yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to watch. Obviously, the power play is in the middle of its you know probably a franchise long goalless drought. Honestly, um, but it did look better against um, it did look better against Florida. Obviously, they've only had two games in that well, not the first few games of the slump, I suppose. But uh, Pashnak's only been back for the, for for two games recently, um, and in the games he has been back, you 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 do see you know, they're on the verge of, in theory, putting one in soon, though. Yeah, it, it feels like it. I thought especially as um, as Tuesday's game against the Panthers went on, the, the last power play in particular, that they got five shots on goal, and I'd say at least two or three of them were really high-danger chances, um, but just wasn't coming. And I thought, you know, Taylor Hall was pretty good talking about this after the game, saying, like, the way they played on that third power play later in the game, they need to play like that, you know, from the first power play. Like Hall basically felt like, you know, the confidence came as the game went on. They need to start the game that way. Like go out there with like the mindset of we're going to attack, we're going to shoot, like we're going to score on on this first one. Whereas, you know, lately it's felt like it's kind of taken them a while to get into it where they're, very tentative and there's a lot of kind of standing around pat like almost you know like let's let's make sure we we're calmed down let's make sure you know we're we're settling the puck like it's almost like they're calming themselves down too much and it's just becoming too stationary um yeah but to your point about like needing that against carolina carolina is the number one penalty kill in the nhl like <laughs> they're not going to give you anything easy. <laughs> oh, so it's boy. not like, it's not like, Oh, well maybe, you know, stuff will just open up for us against them. Like, no, no, good luck with that. You're, you're going to have to earn it. So, um, you know, I know Carolina has also been in, in a power play slump of their own. Um, I was just trying to pull this up. I think it is. Let's see. Uh, so, you know, not quite the Bruins, but three for the last 31. So that's not especially good either. Um, so yeah, maybe uh, you'll get both teams just being completely inept on the power play, and, yeah. and that ends up not actually not being a factor. But it, if one of them can break through, then it definitely becomes a decisive factor. You know, if if one power play gets shut down, the other gets going, then that could very easily be your series right there. Totally, and you know, it uh, like Carolina is going to go into the series, and despite the 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 goal discrepancy between the two teams this year when they went head to head. I mean, you know, this is still like they're, you know, the Goliath of the NHL is Tampa, right? I mean, they're back to back champions, but as far as Carolina is concerned, you know, their, their miniature Goliath is the Boston Bruins. They've, you know, they've 
they've lost eight games to one in the last two playoff series combined. And so when a team is responsible for ending your season not once but twice in a matter of you know twenty four months, then they become a, they become a um, they become a hurdle to to get to to get through. And and so they'll they'll be coming hard, but. They've had it such so easy against Boston this year that like you know all it takes is for g- game one for the Bruins to score first something that I don't think they did in any of the games and 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 all of a sudden it's it's everything's different now and and they have to face some adversity and Boston's a seasoned team they they've been there they've done it they know how to do it again um, they will not be intimidated by by the crowd in Raleigh North Carolina which will be probably twenty percent Boston fans so. Um, and you know, again, not to, we'll have a playoff prediction, um, podcast, so I don't want to spoil too much, but again, it's, it's, it's looking like these are the two teams that are going to meet, um, on the power play, you know, one thing I wrote down when you were, when you were talking about it is just confidence. Like a lot of that stems from confidence. I mean, you can, we can sit here all, all day and talk about how, like, you know, you got to get shots through early. You got to get the PK, uh, moving. You got to open up seams. You got to, you got to outnumber, um, the uh, penalty killers for loose pucks. Otherwise, why are you on a power play if, if they're outnumbering you two to one in the corner on puck retrievals? All these things. But the fact of the matter is confidence um, allows players to make, you know, be more decisive in, with, with, with their playmaking. And the pa- so all of a sudden the passing's quicker. It's more decisive. And they got to find the confidence. And when you're not scoring, that confidence is nowhere to be found. So the challenge for the Bruins is to kind of what you said, have try to try to try to manufacture that swagger and confidence when it probably shouldn't be there. Um, and obviously, you know, you know, special team special teams is huge in the playoffs. Um, Carolina being number one in the PK is not something that you were looking for in a first round opponent. But um, if they do play Carolina, then it's kind of like the same thing with the Celtics, right? Like you know, whatever you have to face it head on at some point anyway. So. Um, what better way to snap out of a streak and get confidence than putting a few on the top penalty kill in the league? Um, Scott, I wanted to ask you about um, the, the 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 defense because it seems like Bruce Cassidy has found his found his uh, his top six for say game one if it were tomorrow, and it's looking like that third pair is going to be Connor Clifton and Derek Forbert. And I gotta say, you know, there's been hiccups here and there from everybody, but um, they actually seem to be playing pretty pretty well. Um, in fact, the one, especially against um, Florida, but more so of late, the one pair that's been kind of making me worrisome was the um, is the Carlo Grizzlick pair. They they both seem to be not playing poor at all. Um, they both just appear to be playing kind of average for their standards. Um, but I digress. It looks like Cassidy has found his his six to start with. Yeah, definitely, and it's really. You know, I think he's still not – when he was asked about this a few days ago, he said, you know, I like like I like our four lines, you know, when everyone's healthy, and that's the exact four lines that they've been using for a while now where Mark McLaughlin ends up as the extra forward. But, um, you know, he didn't tip his hand quite as much on defense, but he has in terms of the, the roster decisions. So both the Rangers game and – the Florida game with everyone f- available and healthy. It's been Lindholm McAvoy, Grizzly Carlo, Forward Clifton, Riley, seventh guy, first one out. Um, 
And honestly, it, it makes sense. Like to your point for former Clifton. So these numbers were going into last night. Um, but over the previous nine games, they, they had been played more than any other Bruins pairing, meaning, you know, now that they were your top two minutes guys, but together they were the most used pair. And in nine games, they had allowed just two high danger chances against and one goal against, um, they've been exactly what you want a third pair. They just are not allowing grade A chances. They're, they're keeping teams to the outside. They're, you know, handling defensive zone assignments and they've been clean. Like when you watch them play, you know, when was the last like really obvious forward mistake? It's been a little while. When when was the last one for Clifton? It was probably just before he got healthy scratched and he's come back from that and played pretty well. Like they're, you know, I think Forbert's been a little stronger, which is what you have wanted to see all season from a guy with his size. You know, he's he's not that he's like running guys through the glass, but he's moving guys around more and establishing position and winning battles when he needs to. And Clifton is not being as reckless. He's not taking, um, you know, chances he doesn't need to be taking. He's not trying to line up a big hit and taking himself way out of the play. Like he's just playing smart, and that's. That's all you need from those guys, and they're, and they're doing it right now. Um, you know, I think I thought Riley, aside from the penalties, which was a problem. Uh, now I think one or two of those calls were were pretty questionable, but regardless, it was too many penalties in a short span of time. Then it was eight minors in twelve games, which don't want, don't can't have that. Um, besides that, like I thought he was playing pretty well. But it was up in the lineup. It was with either McAvoy or Carlo. Uh, we just haven't seen him on the third pair in, in a while. We haven't seen it enough. When Cassidy did try the four-board Riley thing with Riley on the right, it really didn't work, and that was only for about, I don't know, five periods maybe that he gave it a shot. Uh, we've seen very little of Riley Clifton, which, you know, I know on here, like I had advocated for in the past that, I would have wanted to see more of that at some point to see, you know, what that does for you. They just never really, never really went to it. They've just stuck, you know, stuck with Forbore Clifton and given recent results, it's, it's hard to argue with. Like they, cause if you remember like before the trade deadline, Forbore Clifton had was a really good third pairing. And then they kind of started to fall off right around the same time that they were going to change things up to figure out where guys fit anyways. But now they've finally circled all the way back, and it seems to be a solid pairing again for them. Um, could obviously change in the playoffs if they have a bad game or two, but for now, yeah, it makes all the sense in the world to go into the playoffs with with those guys in. Yeah, and you touched on Clifton's um, his, his his smarts. He's definitely been a smarter player. He's he's more composed. They seem more composed as a as a as a tandem. Honestly, there's been a lot of moments this year where they're running around with their with their heads cut off in their own zone and just look overwhelmed by another team's um forecheck. But now they seem like they know their role. They know what there's what they're out there to be. They know what their identity is as a tandem. And that's a shutdown, hard to play against in your face. Um do whatever it takes to keep the puck out of your net. D pair. And that that's the kind of third D pair that you want in the playoffs. That's if you're if you're playing a team for seven games potentially in a series, you know, who are four checkers and, 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 and opposing forwards going to 
not want to go into the corners or in front of the net against more Mike Riley, who, even though he tries to play physical at times, just isn't by nature, or Connor Clifton, who, you know, as we see, can can put guys on their ass um, before they even know it with like a reverse hit or just catching them off guard, or or a Derek Forber, who's just a bigger bigger body to push that you can't just push around. They're just tougher to play against, and I think, you know, Mike Riley just doesn't fit that third deep here mold when when he's what he's what he's bringing is puck moving and and I just don't think that Cassidy needs that necessarily on that pair. He wants him to be tougher to play against. And I think, you know, like especially if you're playing Carolina in round one, like Carolina, they wear you down. They play like I said earlier, they play a hard hard brand of hockey that, that Rod Brindamore implements and that's not that right Mike Riley couldn't play well in that kind of series, but um, you know, it's it's just better better built for a Derek Forbert, Connor Clifton pairing if they're playing smart, simple, into their capabilities. And then obviously when you have a top pair of McAvoy and Lindholm that that do all of that and and, and ten times that offensively, um, that second pair is the one that needs to step up and kind of say, What's our identity? Like Brandon Carlo and, and Matt Grizzlick, the kind of like because the top pair, you have two similar players, right? Lindholm and McAvoy, as far as elite talent, they're, they're kind of similar in that sense where they're both better than everybody else on the blue line. Um, obviously, McAvoy is you know, better overall. but And then the third pair, it's again, like Clifton and, and, and Forbert. They're both limited, but they bring similar attributes and know what they're good at. Grislyk and Carlo, they're not, they're not created equal. But, like, they need to find out what their identity is. And I think they know what it probably should be where Carlos is a stay-at-home, Grizzlick's responsible, but can move the play. It's just a matter of, you know, can they do that job efficiently in the playoffs? Um, and then, you know, as far as, like, somebody like Mike Riley, you know, if the Bruins were playing Toronto, say, in a series, you know, that's a team you want you might want to transition effectively against. Maybe he gets in there for something like that. But depending on who you're playing, it just seems like... Um, that that the pairs have honestly worked themselves out for Bruce Cassidy, um, that's that's what I see. Um, something that also has played itself out is um, Olmark, and we talked we've talked about it last week. But well, last week he still was out when we last spoke, but he had the job it seemed. Then he got hurt. He's come back, Scott, and he's picked he's picked up uh, right where he left off. Yeah, he's he's been great in these two games uh, against. Rangers and, and, and Panthers. And like you said, hasn't missed a beat. I think has clearly and quickly reclaimed that number one spot. Um, Bruce Cassidy was asked about this uh, at, after Tuesday's or Wednesday's practice. I am struggling to remember which day is which right now, but uh, so when, after Wednesday's practice, Cassidy was asked like, you know, not that we expect you to announce it right now, but like, do you have an idea of who your game one starter is? And he said that, you know, like they're still looking at it, but acknowledge that Allmark has been a little ahead of Swayman for a while now. And also announced that Allmark will start Thursday night's game against Buffalo. Swayman will start the season finale in Toronto and Thursday night against Buffalo is probably going to be the last game with your full lineup. So that means Allmark has now gotten the last three games with the full lineup available, whereas Swayman will get the two with guys resting. And in Montreal, it was Lindholm and Pasternak. 
Friday in Toronto, unless there's something really on the line that they care about, which doesn't seem especially likely. Um, it's probably going to be a lot more than just those guys. It'll be, you know, most of the regulars, basically as many guys from Providence as they can call up. That's how many guys will sit and not even go on the trip. Um, so that, that tips the hand as well. Like clearly they're looking at all Mark as, as the one right now and Swayman as the two and, you know, how long that lasts or, or what that needs to happen for it to switch or, you know, does Allmark sit a game at some point, even if he's playing well, like those are all, those all remain fascinating discussions, but I do think it's pretty clear at this point, barring, you know, some sort of craziness in these last two games that Allmark will be the game one starter. And one thing that, that I, I, you know, it's funny. Ordinarily, you, if a team were to go into a playoff season with kind of the approach like, hey, we're going to go with who's ever hot, um, the concern would be messing with their psyches and how they prepare for a game or a series and um, you know, feeling any disdain for, for, for how they're being used or not used. And you kind of think of like, um, like, like Marc-Andre Fleury and, and, and Robin Leonard in Vegas and how poorly they manage that situation. Um, but with the Bruins, you don't have that issue because, and this is, this is where the, the individual players deserve so much credit because clearly Allmark and Swayman have formed a genuine friendship and they, you can tell there's no, there's no, um, it's very authentic. They are, they are genuinely very happy for the other when they are in the net and that they want them to do well and the team to do well and that's they deserve a ton of credit for that because like it'd be easy to tell if they were faking it like they're not like they're they're in it together and i and and when one of them wins they feel like they both won and that's something that's just like not a given with something as competitive as goaltending like they could like most goal most goaltenders um if it's not a clear cut starter backup situation, like, yeah, they're probably friends, but like, they still want the net. And it's not that these two don't, it's just that if they aren't in the net, they, if, if the other one gives up a goal, you kind of feel like they're giving it up themselves. And that's just something that's like really important because I, I'm not worried about their, that part of it. And then, um, the other thing too, is like the Bruins in the past, we've touched on this briefly, but with Tuka Rask and it's not like, this isn't like Tuka's fault, like whatever, he's the number one goalie. But there was always that sense if he struggled, you ride or die with him whether he's playing lights out or he's struggling. And now, like the Bruins just have this like this this ideology of like we don't we don't have to do that. If somebody's not if somebody's not on our game, then fine, we'll go to the next guy. And and they both the both the players seem um okay with that. Like more than okay with it because they're team players and, and, and they like each other. So so that's a good thing. Um, the I think I'm not worried about the Bruins goaltending in the playoffs unless they both just end up sucking, because then then, right. then you shit out of luck. But I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, just want to touch on the forwards quickly too, Scott. So, um, I mean, really every single before before we go to forwards, yeah, little behind the scenes story from Wednesday's practice. Um, the Elmar, you know, it's a I was reminded of it because you were. You know, talking about like how they genuinely get along, and mm-hmm. um, Allmark threw a great Tuca esque tantrum at practice on Wednesday. He was fired up there because they were doing power play drills, and 
he gave up like back to back a couple goals off like just scrambles around the net that I don't know if he felt like you know he should have made the save or covered it or whatever, but he wasn't happy with himself. So smashed the stick off the crossbar, and then he's like skating towards the bench to go get a new one or smash a stick again. And Swayman like puts out his like I don't know if Swayman was even paying attention to the whole drill, but like put out his glove for like the you know good job man. And Allmark skated right by him and smashed the stick again off the off the boards, and then got his new stick. And then like, calmed down, circled back, and then like did the glove tap with Swayman. But yeah, he was he he was like that was about the most fired up I think I've seen Allmark in in a while. And uh, yeah, so he needed good skates to just kind of calm down and get refocused. Mm-hmm. And what and one other thing too. That is that that is beneficial for the Bruins if they're going to go at this two goalie system. It's tough for the opposing um, teams that they're playing to get a read, right? It's not like it's not like you know Swayman and and, and Allmark are similar in style and similar in stature. They're not like they're the opposite. So like you know if you're if you're preparing for Swayman, you know you're preparing for somebody who's like six one and athletic and and whatnot and and um. But Allmark is like six four, six five, and kind of like more of like the the puck's just gonna hit him, and it so it's it just presents different challenges for for the oppositions, and obviously in the playoffs, like Cassidy's probably not gonna disclose a starter going into a game if there's any questions. So teams will go into a game preparing for either one, but you still don't know until you get out there. So it it, it will be kind of annoying for oppositions, um, which I guess is a good thing too. So. Uh, I don't so defense and goaltending. I mean, obviously they haven't played in the playoffs before the, these two goalies. Um, so yeah, okay, fine. If you want to call it a question, fine. But based off what we've seen, it just seems like defense, defensive structure and team structure and goaltending shouldn't be issues. Can they score enough in the playoffs, even with goals per game probably dropping because it's playoff hockey? Yeah, probably. But they're gonna need that. They're gonna need that power play to figure itself out. So on that point um, of scoring with the forwards, Scott, um, two 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 things. Well, I guess we'll just get the general general answer. Um, DeBrusque on the first line seems to be just continuing to play strong. I mean, another example of going to the net on that goal against Florida, and it, again, that line's not as dynamic as with Pasta on it. But again, that's not the reason that that line's together. It's to create that balance and. And if, if that Marshan Bergeron DeBrusque line is good for a couple goals like every couple games or whatever, like then that's great. Um, the second line has been really playing strong uh, and, and productive. Eric Halla quietly is approaching 20 goals if he's not already there yet. Um, he has something like 18 points in his last 19 games. Taylor Hall, is he's got a couple goals in his last couple games. Nice goals at that. Breakaway goals, showing his speed, showing off some finish. Pasta's doing his thing. The third line's a little quiet right now, um, but, you know, still playing responsible. And then the fourth line, Scott, like Nick Foligno on that fourth. Curtis Lazar, first of all, seems to be the driver on that line um, with his speed. Nosek is responsible enough. But Nick Foligno, still still not scoring, but especially in the corner, Scott, seems to have his legs better than they were earlier this year. So I guess just your, your thoughts on the lineup and gen- your comfortability with with their lines one through four as we approach the playoffs. Yeah, I think I think everything looks pretty good, at least to the point where like you're confident that every line's gonna play well and not not be bowled over. Like 
not just be completely overmatched in, in really any matchup. Um, you know, you mentioned that the fourth line especially has not been scoring. Third line's gone a little quiet, but it's like, but they still play the right way. Like they're still making it difficult on the opposition a, a lot more often than not. And yeah, you're right. Like Felino, he's, he's looked better. And, and like, there's been more plays where he's protected the puck or like thrown reverse hits to like get guys off him. And it's like, maybe it was injuries early in the year. Like maybe that had more of an effect than we thought, but you know, you wonder, it's like, okay, like that, again, the goals aren't there, but like that looks a little more like the Felino that you saw for years as, as an opponent. And it's like, where was that, that all year? Like, it seemed like, you know, there was no, there was like, other than, you know, trying to throw hits, there wasn't like that physicality of, of using it to protect the puck and, and shield the opponents off and create chances. And he's had, he's had a few times now where he's been able to do that. And he throws puck to the pucks to the front that, you know, a couple have, have ended up in like thinking back to the one where Mark McLaughlin has stick down and Felino just hit his stick. Um, he's had a couple others that have gone through the crease, but you'll try that all day long with, with your fourth line, like throw pucks to the front of the net, see what happens. And he's done a better job of that. Um, the the top six has been great. And then the first line, you know, so Marshand obviously recently had his goal drought. He finally gets his first goal in 12 games with an empty netter, um, you know, a game after missing an empty net. But um, I was never super worried about Marshand. Like, my, my bigger concern was is he going to get so frustrated that he does something stupid and gets himself suspended? But I wasn't concerned that like, Oh my God, what if Marshan, you know, doesn't score the rest of the season goes Oh, for, you know, Oh, for in the first round. Like I wasn't worried about that. Cause he was get he was getting chances. Like he had some games in there where he had eight shots on goal, six shots on goal, five shots on goal. And it's like, I, I think it got to the point. I think he was at like 40 straight shots without scoring. And it's like, all right, well, like, obviously that's going to end at some point. And, you know, so he's still got to break through on a non-empty net, I guess. But I think they'll be okay. And like you mentioned, DeBrusque has kept playing well, going to the net, making things happen. He's been on the four check. Um, and that line just really doesn't give up anything against. Like, they have been so good defensively, so good just in terms of possessing the puck that it's like, even if – you know, say you okay. Let's say that they're facing Carolina, and say they're matched up against the Aho line mostly. It's like even if they play them to a draw, well, now that frees up your second line, and the second line has been scoring. And like you said, even even when Pasternak was out, Hall, Hall especially kept putting up points. Like I was wondering, you know, like with Pasternak out, was that line just going to fall apart because it would turn into you know Taylor Hall trying to carry two guys? And it didn't like Eric Hollow continued to play well and continued to to drive some chances and offense himself. And you know he's I, I looked it up in his last eighteen games he has nineteen points, um, and that's the eighteen since the trade deadline. Since you know everyone wondered if, in, including me, wondered if Hollow would hold up as the number two center or if they were going to regret you know not doing something to address that. Well. <laughs> Up, you know, over a point per game from your second line center, you'll 
it'll take all day. So uh, that that continues to work. And, and I think, and I'm writing a little bit about this for hopefully for Thursday morning, but I think it's become a more well-rounded line. Like I, I think they've been, they've gotten better defensively. I think they've generated more uh, in the offensive zone, like off the, off cycling versus just kind of relying on, on rush chances. Mm-hmm. And that's what you need. Like Cassidy has said that all along is, you know, when you get to the playoffs, there tends to not be as many rush chances back and forth up and down the ice. So you're going to have to be able to generate off cycling, off the four check. And I think you've seen that line, you know, do more of that recently. So, um, you know, if your first line has the toughest matchup, um, that should free up that line to, you know, hopefully take advantage against a, a second, third, or or fourth line, you know, whoever it ends up being. You know what's funny, Scott? I'm looking at their roster right now, and Taylor Hall, and he's only he's one of only two Bruins this year who's played every single game. Um, him and Charlie Coyle, and obviously that might change at, in game 82 if Cassidy scratches some, some regs, but... Um, he's sitting at 59 points right now, and obviously didn't have pasta on his line all year. So if he had pasta on his line all year, Taylor Hall will be looking at about probably close to 70 points this year. Um, he'll probably finish maybe around 60, 61. But um, yeah, they, they have definitely um, found more ways to score than just off the rush, and um, it's important. They're going to they're gonna need them. Um, especially because I was I was also looking at the at the Hurricanes um, roster again, just because it's it's what I think is going to happen. And I got to tell you, like obviously they got some good players, but they don't seem that 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 they're not that potent. I guess is the word I'm looking for offensively. Um, they're hardworking. They'll grind you down. They're all good, but you know once you look past you know Aho and Svechnikov, I mean like. You know, it's 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 Jordan Stahl, it's it's Vinny Trocek, it's it's you know Tara Vinen, it's Jarvis who's a rookie, um, Jesper Foss. Like it's you know they're good. You know Marty Natchez, but he only has thirty nine points. I mean, so they're good. Max Domi, your favorite player. So I really do think that if the if the Bruins top line can can whitewash you know their top line, you know I do think the Bruins. I know they have more high-end talent on the second line than Carolina does, and then go, you know, bottom six is bottom six. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the one thing that would be interesting is um, Carolina's third line with Jordan Stahl centering has been a great defensive line this season, and I do wonder, like, if maybe uh, Brendan Moore, you know, tries to get that line out against. I don't know which line he would pick as like, do you put them out against the Bergeron line or against the hollow line? But you know, whichever he, he will use that stall line as a matchup for one of those. And that'll be a tough challenge. Like that reminds me of kind of what the Islanders did with the Peugeot line last year, where it was, you know, they didn't care if they generated offense or not. Their job was to go out there and, and, limit the Bergeron line as much as possible and they did a really good job of it like that stall line could be capable of doing something like that so be interesting to watch all the all the matchups and who tries to get what you know we know Bruce Cassidy generally not a big matchup guy 
tends to just, you know, now situationally, yes, he, he will. But for the most part, we'll tend to just roll his lines and not worry about, you know, who's going up against who. And, you know, the one thing you said to start that, to start that sentence was, like, I'm not sure which, which line they're going to pick, right? Which is exactly why the Bruins are a different, you know, team this year in the playoffs than they were last year. Obviously, you're missing David Krejci, but, like, Eric Hall is, you know, he's playing, you know, as productive as probably Krejci was at this time last year. So, like, the fact that Rod Brindamore, presumably, or any team that the Bruins play in the first round, they're gonna they're gonna match up. They're, they're gonna they're gonna choose their best defensive line in theory to 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 out, to outplay or try to negate the Bruins' top scoring line. The problem is for opponents now is you gotta pick one. So um, to your point, like yeah, you know as much as much respect as we want to give what David Pashnak and Taylor Hall can do offensively, like great. Like you want to try to shut them down, fine. <laughs> But don't forget that Brad Marchand has been the top one of the top point scorers in the NHL over the last six, seven years. And when he starts to feel it, which he's going to, and I think that three, two or three points against Florida and a, an assist against the, the the Canadians is going to help him do that. Um, you know, it's it's going to be it's going to be a, t- a tall task for for Bruins opponents. Um, question for you: I don't know if you know anything more than any of us do, but. Um, there's some there's some, uh, speculation out there that, um, you know, Pashnak is is not limping into the playoffs, but um, could be a little bit more significantly banged up than than maybe we hope he is going to the playoffs. Obviously, everybody goes through the playoffs injured um, at some point or another. Obviously, to play four rounds injured is is taller of a task than playing two or, or, or one uh, really injured. Do you know anything about him that's like, or are they just keeping everything tight tight to the vest? Because people have been speculating um, that 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 he could be a little bit more banged up than we think he is. Yeah, I mean, I think they're keeping it pretty tight to the vest. I, I think it's probably safe to say that he's going to have to manage whatever it is he's been dealing with. You know, it. I don't think it's healed 100% and I don't think it's going to certainly not while you're playing through it um but I think you know they waited until he got to a certain point to bring him back like it's not like oh man he's still um he's still only 60% but we got to get him to some games like no I think it was you know I think they waited I think they got to a point where it was okay he really feels good enough to play and, you know, and we think he'll hold up, um, which I think is where they are now. Like, I think it's it's going to have to be managed, but if it if it stays how it is now, I, I think he can be fine. He can be effective and he can play through it. The problem would be what happens if he re-aggravates it or it flares up or he falls awkwardly or gets hit awkwardly and it, that does more damage. Like, that's where it becomes an issue is, is if – there's another setback and then then you have to worry about how much it, does it affect him does he have to miss time but i think where it is right now is okay i you know there might be certain areas where it might limit him but um but i think he can play through i think he can do everything he needs to do i don't think i don't think you're going to see a slower parsonak or 
you know, one who can't rip a one time. Like, I think he'll still be able to do all that stuff. It's yeah. It, to me, the concern would be, you know, if if he does something more to it. It's tough to it's tough to speculate because like, if he is currently playing through something still, right? Um, and the Bruins knew that whatever his injury is, isn't going to heal up anytime soon fully. So might as well get him into games before the playoffs anyway to at least get that out of the way. If he is playing hurt out there, there's nothing in his game that we've seen in the last two games that he does healthy that he hasn't done in these two games, right? His skating doesn't seem any different. He has taken some one-timers. The speed, the velocity seems to be there. Um, you know, it was it was an explosive play um, to set up Eric Hawa against against Florida. Um, you know that displayed uh, you know quick crossovers and and also you know dynamic hands and stuff like that. So if he is hurt, it doesn't seem to be impacting him at this point, um, at least um, visibly. So. I, know, I just wasn't sure if, if, if there's anything more that you knew, but um, obviously health is huge. I mean, so you, this seems to be up against, I think they play Buffalo tomorrow or the day after, yeah. but um, yeah, Thursday, it, they're going to, I believe they're going with a full lineup. So this will be the last time that they could probably be vulnerable to injury before the playoffs, because I think Toronto game, they'll, they'll probably, like you said earlier in the podcast, it'll probably, probably be um, a dark aces type, you know, roster. So, um, hopefully the Bruins injury bug got them um, a few weeks ago, and and now they they seem to be on the right track going into the playoffs. Um, so was there anything that you? Oh, did you want to? So they um, I did want to touch on on on, on Gil Fleur because that was a that was a really really moving tribute um, that the Canadians did for him, uh, and I didn't even piece it together until later. But I imagine that the ten minute standing ovation at least 10 minutes in innovation was because of the number 10. So uh, I pieced well, that together afterwards. Or yeah, was it organic? And I, I, don't, I don't know if you saw, but like they, I guess, officially list, listed the length of it as 10-10. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so I think, I, I don't know if that was the intention. Like, I don't think there was an order of like, give a 10 minutes standing ovation. But I think once it stretched on past five, six minutes, I I feel like someone was like, all right, that'd be a good good place to let it go to type thing. Yeah. And, you know, just to touch on the tribute, it was, um, if you hadn't seen it, it was, you know, uh, there was some French commentary um, about him. And then they, and then it went into a, um, whatever it was, like a four or five minute video, video slash picture montage of, you know, um, sights and sounds of his career with uh, Frank Sinatra's My Way uh, as the soundtrack. And, you know, that song, that song, you know, you know, gets gets the eyes watery anytime anybody listens mm. to it. So, but it was just a, it was a really, really well done tribute. And, um, you know, it's, I guess what the, what the last thing I'll say on it is, you know, when, when you, when you leave this world and, and you have that much of an impact on, on the people, uh, and the world to leave behind that you get that kind of ovation and tribute. That's a you know you've done something pretty special in your life. So that was a great that was a great tribute from the, from the Canadians to Guy Lafleur. Yeah, and and obviously the the ceremony in Montreal is the it was incredible and is what 
will most be remembered of, you know, this past week. But also, you know, moment of silence is like all over the league, including in Boston. And it was it was a respectful moment of silence. It wasn't like, you know, moment of silence for Guy Lafleur and you hear a bunch of people talking through it and what it or, you know, some jackass booze or something like. Nope. It was you could tell like even the older Bruins fans, I think, always had that like that grudging respect of like you hate him because he's a Canadian, but you also know that you know how good he is and you know that he's doing it the right way. And like, he's, he's, he's a leader and he's, you know, he's not taking shortcuts. He's not cheap shotting guys. Like I I think that that respect seems genuine and younger fans, you know, probably don't know enough, but I think clearly recognize the moment of like, okay, like, yeah, this is the type of person who, who has earned that, who deserves that level of respect. Um, you know, obviously the, the two of us are too young to have seen him play. You know, I'm sure we've both seen plenty of highlights over the years. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's such the, just the prototypical Canadian, like the, you know, the, like everyone's pointing out like the, the flowing hair, the name, the fact that he's from Quebec, yeah. like, like everything about it is so perfectly Montreal Canadian. Um, but yeah, that you know, just just to see what he meant to so many people all over the league, and specifically to the to Montreal and that community is to your point. Like, imagine how good you have to be at anything to have you know twenty thousand people give you a standing ovation for ten plus minutes. Like, it's it's crazy. Yeah, and that's like, and you know that that's the beauty of sports is like for you know. For these, for these athletes, for any athlete, professional athlete, like that's the impact that you have on people because, like, it wasn't. It's like people aren't. Gila Fleur doesn't mean what he means to Montreal because he was simply a hockey player and because he simply won championships. Like you have to remember, like a lot of the people at, in in the, in the arena, like that were that were there for the tribute and watching at home and stuff like that. Like they remember if they don't remember watching Gila Fleur. With the, with their dad or their brother or their uncle or their mom or their sister or their cousin like they their 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 parents have those memories with like so like sports like every 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 Bruins game like like Bruins fans watch like you know you watch it with friends and family so like those are memories that you accumulate over your life and so you always remember the people that you were watching while doing that so obviously you know that was big um, yeah no it was a uh, obviously you know. Huge hockey game. They say they say he was you know generational and and like like he was he was at in his era like as good, better than players like McDavid is better than players now is what they say. So um, and obviously for the tribute to end up um, working out where the schedule was the Bruins on the on the on the deck and on the docket for the uh, Canadians was fitting. Um, so yeah, cool tribute um, hockey legend. Anything else you have, Scott? No, I also thought like just selfishly that game was the rescheduled one from December that Bridget and I were originally planning to go to. And I was just thinking like how unbelievably cool it would have been to to be there for that. Like in the alternate universe where I, I don't know, whatever, keep plans to go up there. But mm. um but yeah, not not risking traveling to Canada right now with all the 
you know, possibility of getting stuck there if you test positive and all that stuff. So, yeah, but, but nonetheless, like just seeing, just watching on TV was awesome and credit to Nesson for carrying the whole thing. Like I know that seems like it should be a no brainer decision, but you know, there's, there's been networks before that have not carried something like that. If it's not about their team. Totally. Actually. So, so Bridget wasn't able to go to that, to that game with you, but she did go to the um, the Predators Flames game in Nashville because, like we said, she was at a wedding down there. I actually watched that game last night um, on ESPN, uh, uh, ESPN Plus app, whatever the hell it's called, um, during the Bruins game, and I'm so I'm so glad I did. Like I picked some of the best games this year to just randomly watch on ESPN Plus, like the the initial Zegris goal against Buffalo. I was just watching that live when it happened, um, but. Um, Calgary and um, by the way, just to interrupt, picking an Anaheim Buffalo game to just randomly watch is I know that I, is <laughs> that's, that's my, remarkable. I know that that's my point. Like I don't know why I did that, but I, I and I was only watching it for like five minutes before the um, the Zegers goal happened, and I was watching. I was like, oh, this is gonna be on Twitter in a second. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that Flames Predators game last night was one of the most entertaining games I've seen in a long time. Like it was. Like before the first period was over, there was there was multiple fights. There were spears. There were goals. Um, both those teams are literally huge um, and tough as shit. And like it's like those two teams and and, and Minnesota now. Like those are, like the three toughest teams in the league. And uh, there's a really good chance they end up playing in the first round. Matthew Kachuk is like he is probably he has to be the most hated person. Um, in the city of Nashville right now, like everybody and their mother was booing him and, and he was chirping everybody. He ends up scoring a goal with literally point zero zero one seconds left to send it to overtime. The Flames win in the shootout. Lucic looks like 20, 2010 Lucic out there just killing guys. He like he literally almost ended Matthew Shane's career with 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 a, with a hit. Um, fought Borbietsky like once, wanted to fight him five more times. I think they're playing in the first round of the playoffs, so that's gonna be a six series if they do. Um, and then I and then I wa- I caught Vegas just continue to shoot themselves in the foot, um, losing to Dallas in a shootout. So they really they look like they're done, um, which is crazy. Vegas don't like people forget that like two months ago it was the the cream of the crop in the NHL was Colorado, Las Vegas, Florida, and Carolina. Like those are the four favorites to win the cup and. They didn't even have Jack Eichel yet, or they may have had him, but he wasn't—he wasn't playing for them yet. And um, and then they get Eichel, and now they're just like, like the sixteen Bruins, just like not making the playoffs in the last week of the season. Yeah, it's crazy. Like because Vegas had started slow and then like turned it on, and you like I think we all just assume they're just going to keep it up, and for them to just totally fall off, and for it to happen like as Eichel comes back and now like as stone comes back and it's like, man, for whatever reason, just not clicking. I think probably a lot of teams fan bases feel like maybe, maybe, you know, some calmer for them. Like they've made the playoffs every year. They've been a franchise and you have, you know, other teams looking around that like the hell, like this is supposed to be hard. Supposed to just be able to walk in and do this every year. So no, no one feeling bad for them at all, but yeah, it is crazy though with the, with that roster and they've had a bunch of injuries. Like it, it's a factor, but 
they still they they should have had enough to like make it over a team like like Dallas or LA. Like they on paper they're better than those teams and it just just hasn't played out that way this season. I mean on yeah, I mean dude on paper they're probably one of the they're probably a top five team in the, I mean you have you have two number one defensemen. All right, you you have, you have Petra, um Alex Petrangelo, you have Shea Theodore. Up front you have uh, Eric Carlson, you have Marsha So, you have Riley Smith, you have Pacioretty, Mark Stone, Jack Eichel, Chandler Stevenson. Like, dude, they have like so much talent. But I will say they were they were darlings in the NHL their first couple of years for obvious reasons. But I but I gotta be honest, a lot of the organizational decisions that they've made in the last few years, I have been really really against. Like, and it all started with firing Gerard Gallant. When they were first placed in the Pacific Division and had had nothing but success in the NHL, they fire him for for Pete DeBoer, it like like who like never won anything and was just like a like I, they they did they did Gerard Gallant so wrong after Florida did Gerard Gallant so long to even have him go to Vegas in the first place. It's like Gerard Gallant is a phenomenal coach and you see what he's doing with the Rangers. So them firing him for no reason, like literally no reason, like. In, they they deserve what they get. Then the way they handled Marc Andre Fleury, the way they tried to 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 dump uh, Evgeny um, Dadanov, and and he had to come back with his tail between his legs, like just you know, it, I I understand why people are like turned off by Vegas. Like they just it's it's one thing, it's one thing to make a bunch of smart decisions and easy decisions when you, when you're a brand new team in the league, but. Now they're f- starting to figure out why. Oh, it's not easy to to run an NHL team, and this is like their first year in the NHL now because they're this is like their this they're an fifth they're officially an NHL team now because they're about to miss the playoffs for the first time. So there's their initiation rite of passage. Now welcome to the league. Yeah, um, the west the west is so like it, we thought for. And I guess maybe to an extent, the East still is a little split where the Atlantic looks stronger than the Metro. But I think Carolina turning it on a little towards the end like makes the Metro look a little stronger again. In the West, it is like so lopsided where that Central Division with Colorado, Minnesota, St. Louis in those top three spots yeah. is just brutal. Like that for Minnesota and St. Louis, you have, you know, two of the four best records in in the West and you got to go up against each other in the first round. Like it's, and then Colorado, you know, you're the top seed, but you're going to have to face one of those two in the second round. Like that's, if this is the year that Colorado ends up making a deep run, they'll, they'll have definitely have been tested. I mean, one team that should be counting their blessings and one fan base that should be counting their blessings right now is the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, yeah. the fact that, and this is no disrespect to the Kings, but the Los Angeles Kings don't even have Drew Doughty anymore because he's he's out for the season. Um, but even if they did have Drew Doughty, their their roster is like it's it's NHL average. Now their their record is what it is, and they deserve to be where they are. But um, the fact that the Oilers, who have had such a Jekyll and Hyde up and down season the fact that they get to draw like the easiest opponent of in the nhl playoffs in my opinion maybe i mean even dallas has some like you know 
challenges for any team. Like, I think Colorado would handle them pretty quickly. But, like, you know, Dallas has some high-end talent. Like, the Kings really don't. Like, I mean, Kopitar is, but he's, you know, how old now? Um, when, like, everybody else has to play this absolute juggernaut in the first round and then, like, the, the Oilers get a uh, a cakewalk. It should be. It should be a cakewalk for them with their star power. So if they don't make it to the second round and give us a battle of Alberta, pres- assuming that the, the Flames take care of business, then uh, then there's, there's some real issues up in Edmonton. There's a ton of pressure on them to get through this first round, in my opinion, because everybody else has a legit reason to not make it to the second round this year. Like, honestly, like it, it's a crazy, it's I mean, a crazy I, I would season. say, I would say if color, like if yeah. Colorado ends up against Dallas and they lose, like there's no excuse for that. No, either. no, no, totally. I, I would almost like, so right now Nashville and Dallas are tied, but Nashville has the regulation wins tiebreaker. I would almost like say maybe more of an excuse of Colorado were to lose to a Nashville because for, for reasons you laid out, like Nashville just plays, a really heavy game and I could just see them doing damage against whoever they face. Um, and they also have a, a, a defense with over 90 points and two 40 yeah. goal scores. Like they do have some, some up at yeah. high end skill too. Um, but what, I, I didn't check today, but what, is there any update on UC Saros? No, he, that was, uh, that was weird, huh? Like, yeah, that's yeah. No, I, I haven't checked on that. No, but, uh, yeah, like five minutes left in the game or whatever it was, he just took himself out, which like a lot of goalie injuries appear to be, you don't really see much. It's probably pulled something or this or that. So it looks like the update on Wednesday is that he'll miss the final two regular season games, but they're not saying anything beyond that. Makes so sense. lower body injury, so I don't that, – that would obviously be very concerning if that if he's not ready for round one. Um, and Nashville becomes a lot less scary if that's the case, but but Nashville will still beat the shit out of like whoever they play in the first round. Yeah, physically. they 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 might get swept without Saros, but they'll that they'll... that'll it'll be like Bruins Capitals last year, where like, all right, you might clearly be the better team, but you're you're not getting out of the series without an injury or two. Yeah, no, totally. So, um, the NHL playoffs this year are going to be real fun. Like, obviously, you said Colorado. Like, they have no excuse to lose in the first round. But I feel like of the 16 teams qualifying, like, man, like, if I'm if I'm 14 of them, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm in the second round or if I'm going home after the first round. Like, that's how crazy the parody is. Obviously, in the Eastern Conference, especially with the 100-point-plus for everybody. But should be pretty fun, Scott. And after what seems like it's been four years, um, the playoffs are finally here. This regular season is about to be over. I mean, Jack said on the broadcast the other day that the Bruins hadn't seen the, the Panthers in six months. Six months, and we're talking <laughs> about the same regular season. Like, it's crazy. Against, the, against a division, quote-unquote, rival. That's crazy. Like, seriously, the NHL regular season started, yeah, six, six and a half, almost seven months ago. It's yeah, mid, mid-October. That's crazy. Anyway, um, we've probably gone on a little long, Scott. So I'm I'm good if you are good. This podcast is also gonna last six months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the regular the regular season on this podcast is officially over, and um, we'll talk to you guys next week uh, to preview some playoffs. Thanks for listening.